So our reading this evening is uh, from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. And here Mary goes to visit uh, Elizabeth. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So we've looked over the the early verses of of Luke chapter 1 this week and last week. Uh, And so far we've seen a a couple of foretellings, uh, if you like. Uh, fairly substantial foretellings. Uh, the first foretelling was to, uh, to Zechariah. Zechariah is married to Elizabeth. And both are advanced, are advanced in years. They uh, don't have any children because uh, she is, uh, she's barren, uh, not able to have children. And humanly speaking, they're beyond the age where they, they could have children. And yet, the angel Gabriel... Uh, who's quite busy, uh, appears, <laughs> appears uh, to Zechariah during his, um, his prayers in the temple. And uh, in verse 13 he says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have uh, joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And, uh, and then this miracle happened. Uh, so as a result of this, that uh, Elizabeth conceives in verse, uh, uh, verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Uh, for five months, she kept herself hidden. Um, uh, so John is on his way already. Uh, a boy who's going to be, play an important role in the coming of the kingdom of God. And the second foretelling is one we looked at this morning, which is to Mary, a young girl betrothed to Joseph, uh, but not yet married. And uh, Gabriel's message to her is even more shocking and amazing. Um, She too was to conceive, but not through a husband, uh, not through the agency of Joseph, but remarkably through the agency of the Holy Spirit. and she, and she was to conceive, and who she was to conceive, uh, 
is described in the most amazing terms. He is going to be the son of the Most High. He will sit on the throne of David. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. In other words, Mary's baby is going to be the very son of God. And we thought about this this morning. The very son of God come as a human being, as was promised in the scriptures. And so far, those stories seem to be uh, disconnected from each other. They're two separate stories. Uh, They both involve Gabriel, but they don't seem to be connected, um, at least not initially. But now, in this passage, uh, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth is a relative of Mary. See that in verse 36. Behold, your relative Elizabeth... Uh, in her old age, has also conceived a son, says Gabriel. Uh, so we know from that that they're, they're related. And, and Mary is in the north, in Nazareth, uh, by the sea, not far from the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Elizabeth is in the south, in Judah, is probably uh, in the hill country near Jerusalem, or thereabouts. And uh, Mary travels southwards and she makes that journey uh, probably about a four to five day journey uh, in the modes of transport in those days and she's Mary's probably gone because uh, she's heard through Gabriel the news that her cousin is expecting five months pregnant and that's contrary to expectation in the family and so she takes that as significant and she decides to go and visit. There's a lot that's happened that's significant here. Uh, a lot of things seem to be coming together and Mary thinks, well, I've got to get together with Elizabeth. And so this passage, 39 to 45, is, is all about uh, Elizabeth's words to Mary when she arrives. Um, the next passage in verse 46 onwards, which we'll look at next time, uh, is... Mary's response, a song of response, to what Elizabeth said. We actually sang, uh, the first hymn that we sang tonight was based on that response of Mary. But we'll come to that uh, next time. But let me point out three things from this passage, um, as usual. Uh, let's, first of all, uh, let's note the fact that the baby in, in, in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. The baby leapt for joy. And that's what Luke tells us, verse 40. Uh, she entered, Mary entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And, and then just to get, in order to uh, get the message, uh, Elizabeth herself reports that fact uh, in verse 44. For behold, this is Elizabeth speaking. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now Elizabeth has been pregnant for less than six months. She's in her sixth month, but it's less than six months. Months, the end of the sixth month is after five months so far. So, (laughs) why why is that net? Why do I have to tell you that? Well, it's around about that time that babies start to move in the womb, isn't it? Look at the NHS website, as I did. Um, Between weeks 16 and 24, 
babies start to move. And, you know, if it's your first, they tell me, I don't know, I'm not an expert, but, you know, it, they tell me if it's your first baby, then it probably comes a bit later, the, the first movements. I don't know why that is. Some, I'm sure Dr. Rose will be able to tell us. Um, <laughs> but um, we... Uh, uh, so in, in a sense, there's nothing particularly unusual about a baby moving in Elizabeth's womb at this point. Um, however, two things should make us take notice in this particular passage. Firstly, the timing of it is obviously significant. It happens just at the point when Mary gives her greeting to Elizabeth. And the baby leaps for joy in her room. Now, is that just a coincidence? <laughs> is that a, an accident that just happened to happen? Or is it one of those moments when in God's providential managing of things and oversight of events, things happen just as God planned them? Well, I want to suggest to you that's in fact the case. That God has this in his purposes. So that he can record it for us. And to signal the significance of this baby in the womb that Mary is carrying. So the timing is really significant. The second thing to notice is the little comment at the end of verse 41... After, this, she, after the baby leaps in her womb, Luke tells us, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to spend a bit longer on this, cause, uh, and I, so forgive me for digressing a little onto the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, and you may have noticed that the Holy Spirit has, been, has had several key mentions so far in Luke. Um, just going back to the passage we looked at this morning, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to, uh, brings about the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary. Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Um, uh, therefore the child to be born will be called holy Uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you uh, is the key point and then earlier in this this book there's a comment about Elizabeth's child from Gabriel in verse 15 he will be great John will be great before the Lord he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb So this baby that's in Elizabeth's womb is filled with the Holy Spirit. What a strange thing. Is filled with the Holy Spirit. And and now Elizabeth herself is filled with the Holy Spirit. As she speaks. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit at this point? Lots of people um, automatically jump to the conclusion that this means that both John and Elizabeth are regenerated, born again, saved. 
And we had a bit of a discussion about this on Thursday. And let, let me say, look, you know, in case any of you are in doubt, I have no doubt that's true in this, in this case. Regenerated, born again, saved by the Holy Spirit. Um, however, I don't think that's what Luke is concerned about here. I think what Luke is interested in is something else. Though I'm not dismissing regeneration at this point. Rather, I think what Luke is talking about is equipping John and Elizabeth for a particular task. Why do I think that? Well, this is how the the Old Testament speaks of the Holy Spirit. Or the Spirit of God. <clears throat> and sometimes we get a bit mixed up on, on what, when we see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, we, is he talking about these people being saved? And I think you, if you look, do look at those cases, you'll find that that can't actually be true necessarily in every case. Let me just give you a couple of examples of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. Uh, <clears throat> Bezalel in his Exodus 31 or 35. Now, what was his, why was he filled with the Holy Spirit? So that he could use his craft, crafting skills to contribute to making the tabernacle. So God was equipping Bezalel and Aholiab to be able to do that work that God had set for him. And so you see here, there is a, the filling of the Holy Spirit is to, really to do with equipping Bezalel to do his work. Or think about uh, Moses in Numbers chapter 11. Moses has the Spirit of God upon him, but he can't do the work all by himself. And so... Under the advice of Jethro, he he sets aside a number of elders. And God says, I will take some of my spirit from you and give it to these elders. Give my spirit to these elders. So that they can carry out their job of judging and ruling over the people of Israel. And so again you see, there is a, a... The filling of the Spirit is more to do with equipping somebody for a task. A job that needs to be done. Now you might say, well, Bezalel and Moses, weren't they believers? Were they not accepted by God and regenerated? Yeah, sure. What about Saul in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 11? Samuel is anointed of God. By Sam, uh, sorry, not Samuel, Saul is anointed by God by, uh, through Samuel and he is given the Spirit of God. Why? So that he can be king, the chosen king over Israel. But Saul rejects God. Saul ignores God. And the Holy Spirit is taken from him. Now, what is it? how do we interpret that? Well, again, if you see it in the light of regeneration, then you're starting to think, can somebody lose their salvation? But that's not the way to think about it. 
when you think about it in, in terms of equipping for a task, you can see why God can give his spirit and he can take his spirit away. So why does David say in Isaiah 51, after sinning and confessing his sins, do not take your spirit from me? He's concerned primarily, I think, about his role as king. I can continue to rule as king wisely. So this filling of the Holy Spirit has more to do with um, being equipped for the task than it is saying anything about the inner state of the person receiving the Holy Spirit. It seems to be to me that in the Old Testament that the Old Testament writers are less concerned about that inner state and more to do with how God equips people uh, to do the task that he's called them to. And given that John is the last of the prophets of the Old Covenant, he appears in the New, Covenant, New Testament, but he's, he's really part of the Old Covenant. That is how we're to see his filling with the Holy Spirit and Elizabeth as well. Um, and Luke, so what is Luke doing here by saying that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I think he is eager to show that Elizabeth is, has been given an extraordinary prophetic power in this moment. And everything that she says after this is a fruit of that work of the Spirit equipping her to speak into that situation. And she pours forth various utterances. Friends, it is a great encouragement for us to see God working in this way. To see God providentially arranging events to happen just as he plans them to be. And yet also to see the explicit intervention of God the Holy Spirit into situations that he is in control of. And this is the kind of God we have. The kind of God we have is unlimited in power, perfect in all his plans, and who can execute those plans as he has planned them, when he plans them. So the baby leapt in her womb. But secondly, I want to just draw your attention to this baby in Mary's womb, who is the Lord. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth continues to speak in verses 42 to 45. Uh, and that's the sum total of her prophetic utterance. And three times she calls Mary blessed. And we'll come to the third at the end, but uh, the first two are in verse 42. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So the first blessing uh, singles out Mary amongst women. And in Christian history, this has got a long history of interpretation. What do we do with that statement that Mary is blessed among women? And it's often taken without the second mention, second blessing. Mary is blessed among women. Uh, To the point where a great deal is made of, of Mary. And you look at the history of the Christian church, you'll see that 
you know, gradually the importance of Mary grows and grows and grows in the Christian church. Um, Mary is unique, of course, amongst women, and therefore people have begun to believe too much about Mary. Um, So the history of the church shows us that she was honoured first, which is no bad thing. It's good to honour saints of the past. But then over time, she has been venerated, uh, uh, become an object of devotion, uh, believing that she has special authority and power above all other women. And so distorted has this belief become that much of the church came to believe that in fact she, was, she had to be sinless herself. Not just that the Son of God was uh, without original sin, but that Mary herself was without original sin. Uh, the, the so-called immaculate conception of the Roman Catholic Church. And so, in the you know, in the and those of you who have come from the back from the Roman Catholic Church will know this that uh, verse forty two forms part of a prayer, uh, not to God, but to Mary. Blessed are you among women. Hail Mary, Mother of God. Blessed are you among women, and the fruit of your womb. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And the prayer is used to call upon Mary. Uh, to be an intercessor for us. That's how the Roman Catholic Church uses it today. Now we don't want to go down that route of exalting Mary to a position in heaven that she does not have. What makes her blessed is not some special quality that she has, but she is blessed in that she has That God has chosen her, an ordinary girl, and to be sure a devoted girl, but but not a sinless girl. And God has chosen her to do something special, to bear a very special child, our Lord Jesus Christ. And this becomes clear in verse 43, which shows that Elizabeth, what Elizabeth is really amazed about. Uh, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. She's amazed that it's the mother of my Lord. It's actually the baby that's really important here. Now, do you notice what Elizabeth has just called that baby? My Lord. It jumps out at you. Why does she use that term? You see, so far... Lord, in Luke's gospel, is used of God himself. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. Elizabeth and Zechariah were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Or verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, of God, standing on the right, hand, uh, standing on the right hand side of the altar of incense. Or verse 15. He will be great before the Lord. John, be great before the Lord. Before God, he must not drink wine or strong drink, and so on. Or verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. 
So the Lord so far in John's Gospel is God himself. So what does Elizabeth mean when she calls Mary's baby, my Lord? It's almost as though she's been meditating on Psalm 110. Did you see what Psalm 110 began with? The Lord said to my Lord. In Hebrew it's Yahweh said to my Adonai. Adonai. The Lord said to my Lord. Sit at my right hand. And I will make your enemies your footstool. See, there's the Lord, Yahweh, the great God of heaven, speaking to my Lord, speaking to the Messiah, God's chosen King, His anointed one, His priest King. And yet in Luke, Lord, meaning God, seems to be interchangeable with Lord in the womb. What an amazing thing that she seems to realize. How did Elizabeth make that connection? It can only have been through the equipping of the Holy Spirit who gave her insights into things that were happening. And she is able to speak prophetically and announce and confirm the identity of this baby. Well, of course, the, the story is unique. It's, um, it's unlike anything else in the Bible. And yet there's something true here for every person who comes to a genuine faith in Christ. There's, for, a Christian, for somebody who becomes a Christian, there has to be a transition point for everyone who is genuinely a Christian. The one moves from being interested in the story of Jesus as a historical figure and interested perhaps in his teaching to coming to the realization that this man who has come into the world, into earth's history is none other than God himself. That he's Lord of the universe, this Jesus Christ. And also that he is my Lord. My Lord. If you're a Christian today, You have come to that point where you've said, He is my Lord. Jesus is Lord of me and He belongs to me and I belong to Him. I'll just ask you this evening, has that ever happened to you? Have you come to that realization that Jesus is your Lord? That He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords? That He is the very Son of God come in flesh? Which brings me to the final point this evening. The blessing in believing. The final blessing is found in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Which Lord is it? It was the Lord of heaven uh, through Gabriel. But she's believed it. Now this this is a blessing. Think about it. This is a blessing that doesn't just happen to Mary. This final blessing is something that actually engages her own, her whole soul in that she believes in the very words of God. It changes her life forever. Mary believed that, that what, believed what Gabriel had told her. And sure, there's a, there's a point where the words of Gabriel do disturb Mary 
And she has questions about how everything he says could happen, how he could con- she could conceive without being married. But in the end, she believed Gabriel. You see that in verse 38. Behold, Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And now Elizabeth has called her blessed because she believed. Friends, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian this evening, have you ever considered how blessed it is that you believe the gospel? That God has revealed to you himself in his son through the gospel to the point where you have come to believe. Because you see the act of believing is not simply a personal choice. It is a sign that God is at work in you. And his blessing is poured out upon you. That he has brought you to the point where you believe. I mean, it would be a strange thing indeed if, if faith in Jesus Christ were only a matter of me choosing to accept what God says. Chris, some people have tried down the centuries. But it's a strange thing to say. And for, then to be, for, for someone to say that therefore I am blessed because I have chosen to believe in God. What a strange thing to say. I'm blessed because I have chosen to, because I've done something? I've chosen to believe? What kind of weird self-centered thinking is that? No, blessedness comes from above, from God. And your faith in Jesus Christ is an evidence that God has blessed you. It is a gift from heaven for you to believe in the identity of Jesus Christ. And to believe that God will do everything that he has promised in Christ. So the blessedness of believing comes from above. And it's not anything fundamentally to do with our decisions. Though our wills do catch up. Now if that's true, nobody can just choose to believe. What? How, how can I exhort you then? <laughs> what can I exhort you with this evening to do? In one sense, it would be simplistic to instruct you to believe. But what I can do is exhort you to go to the God who can bless you with belief. To go to God and to ask him to help you with your unbelief. It's like that man in Mark chapter 9 verse 24. Who had a boy who was afflicted with fits and seizures. And he says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. He goes to Jesus and says, help my unbelief. And isn't that what we should do? See, only God can bless you with the ability to believe. And so you need to go to him. And ask him to bless you. And for the rest of us to go to him and ask God to bless each other and our visitors with belief. May God come in great power and give the gift of faith to all those who are here. Lord, help, I believe, help my unbelief. 
Now, of course, there will be some uncertainties that will come into your mind about all of this. You, you may be afraid of God. Uh, uh, you may fear the consequences of giving yourself wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ. We'll bring all of those to God too. Just tell God about them. That's what Mary did. Bring those fears. Bring all these worries about the future. Bring them to God as you say to God, I believe, help my unbelief. And if you pray that God would help your unbelief, I have no doubt that he will answer you. He doesn't ignore a prayer like that. And you will find yourself in that blessed state of believing. What a wonderful thing to believe. How we can praise God for it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that for those of us who are Christians this evening, Christian believers, it's from God that you have blessed us with the ability to believe. It's a gift from heaven. And we pray you'd help us in our unbelief. We know that our faith is not perfect. Our believing is not perfect. Often we are assailed with doubts and fears and worries and concerns. But we pray you'd help us to continue to cry out to you, to ask that you'd help us. And that we would know that blessing of believing with absolute certainty in our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen.